The Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Would you like access to bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? Join us in the Curiosity Shop at patreon.com backslash bones and bobbins. Yay! <laughs> da, da, da. Your generous support helps make the show happen and will also earn you our very, very eternal gratitude and entry into our private Patreon-only Facebook group. Mm-hmm. That's where all the exciting stuff happens. It, 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 indeed. <laughs> um, if by exciting you mean other creepy people sharing creepy things, which I think is exciting. That's super exciting. Indeed. In a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street, you'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, you'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet. Where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. Hello, Morbid Makers. We are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed, opaquely odd, merrily morbid, marvelously misanthropic hosts. Indeed. I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Very Serious Crafts Podcast. And I'm Natalie from Uber Dark Designs, an official murderino maker. Huzzah! Yay! Yeah. So how you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, So you know how we talked about Chatelaines? Yes. And how I'm obsessed with them and I really want one? Yes. So my pal Emily saw one of the social media posts that I made about them and was like, oh, I think I have one of those. Let me go look for it. That. And then she did. <laughs> Yay! You can have And Shadowing. she found it. And uh, so she's going to send it to me. And I am so excited. It's beautiful. That is amazing. And very, very yeah. exciting. It, it, I... I have rarely, rarely been more excited. Maybe never. I'm not sure. I can't wait. Oh my gosh. What are you going to put on it? Tell me everything. (laughs) It's already got stuff on it. (gasps) What kind of things? It's got um, a very ornate um, scissors holder with scissors. Um, I think it has a needle case. Um, And I can't remember what the, there are three things on it. I think right now and there's room for additional things but the other one might be a match case it seems like matches used to be smaller because I there have been lots of match cases labeled just in my travels through the internet that look a little small for that I don't know so I'm very excited I'm super excited. Yeah. And it looks, it's sturdy. It's um, the belt hook kind. Ooh. And so it 
looks like I could actually use it. <gasps> I cannot wait. Yeah. I'm really excited. I am too. Uh, so, how was how was your week? My week was pretty good. I I know has Chatelaine. Um No, no, but that's okay. Um, but I did end up um, going down, continuing down the rabbit hole of sewing kits, um, which is what we discussed on our our Patreon episode. Right. Speaking of Patreon, we should probably take a little quick break to thank all of our fantastic Curiosity Shop members over on Patreon and give a totally normal and not at all creepy welcome to our newest members. We have three new members. Oh, do we? We do. We have Courtney in California. Hello. Um, who is also my twinsie and I adore her to bits. Uh, we have Debbie Brunner. Hello. And then we have Erica Salazar. So, welcome, ladies. Ooh, Salazar. Yes. That is, I like that last name. It is a good last name. I'm very yes. excited. Yes, well, thanks, friends. We are very pleased to have you in the Curiosity Shop. Indeed. Um, oh, and also, you are the best. And we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you, which is honestly saying a lot. True. I, I would go so far as to throw a picnic in the graveyard oh, yeah. with them. In the woods. Yes. Like we're breaking every rule that you could exactly. possibly break in the not dying category. Indeed. For There's... you guys. I think there's only one rule that we have to hold true to, mm. um, and that is, um, as this is season one, episode five, dolls, creepy little bastards. No dolls yep. are allowed to the picnic. Maybe oh, a teddy bear, no. but no dolls. But what if there are already dolls? Well, we're not going to mess with them if they're already there. We're not going to kick them out of their home, but... No, I'll get to that, though, because there might be. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot Yes, yes. So, I'm going to tell you a little story. (gasps) Tell me, tell me. I'm going to tell you a little story about a girl who has been nicknamed Frozen Charlotte and has inspired many a doll in Victorian Kidland. Mm. Yes. So, um, Frozen Charlotte, which many creepy folk will have already heard of, is basically um, a cautionary tale about a very vain and very foolish young woman, probably from the 19th century, who froze to death on her way to a New Year's ball while riding in an open sleigh. And Yeah, right? That is not Um, a Christmas carol. Mm -mm. No, it's it's not not ideal, I have to say. And so multiple incarnations of this story have existed over the years, and some do and some don't mention the New Year's connection. There's a poem, a ballad, other various related tales, um, 
but the original poem has been credited to uh, Seba Smith and was published in The Rover. Oh. In, yeah, right? In 1843. Um, I should also mention that the poem and sung ballad has also been attributed to a blind poet from Benson, Vermont, named William Lorenzo Carter. Oh. Um, or it could have also come together by way of oral folk tradition. But it is generally speaking thought that at least the poem as we know it now was written um, by Seba Smith. Gotcha. And so um, the poem was in theory and I think this is probably where it did come from um, was inspired by a small piece of news in the New York Observer which read a young woman whose name was given as Miss fill in the blank because heaven forbid the society pages um, name you um, (laughs) was frozen to death while riding 20 miles to a ball on the eve of January 1st, 1840. And there isn't any more information on this particular accident. A lot of people, especially academics who are focusing on it, have tried to look into it further. But there hasn't been a clear origin or any clear specific information about this woman but that's a pretty big truck at that time i would think like even just now going 20 miles in a car let alone by horse yeah i mean by horse in an open sleigh that seems like a terrible idea yeah that's not the wisest of life choices no i'm just thinking like i live in brooklyn I wouldn't think it would be the wisest choice to take a horse and carriage to, say, the Upper West Side in Manhattan right? that time. Well, I guess that wouldn't, maybe wouldn't have quite existed yet. Midtown, um, Park Avenue. There I would, you go. Not, <laughs> have, would not have gone to, um, to the Gramercy area. Although, the Gramercy area would have been kind of sketchy then. Anyway, <laughs> that is not the point. Um, so Seba Smith's poem, which different sources have titled Young Charlotte, Fair Charlotte, or the much more fun and my personal favorite, A Corpse Going to a Ball, which is, (laughs) right, um, which is probably really the original title. That seems to be the general consensus that A Corpse Going to a Ball is really what it was originally published as. That would have sold the papers. Right? And so um, I'm going to read you the original poem. And I want to add a content warning here because it includes a racial slur that refers to the Roma people. And just a heads up, I know that that's inappropriate language. And if you don't 
you definitely should know that it is a racial slur. Um, but I'm going to read the unabridged poem. So, a corpse. <laughs> Sorry. Hi, cat. It's like story time. Let me jump in. Oh, yes, please. Better get the cat. Okay. Hi, cat. Just like, hello. All right. So, a corpse going to a ball. Young Charlotte lived by the mountainside in a lonely, dreary spot. No other dwelling for three miles round except her father's cot. And yet on many a winter's eve young swains would gather there, for her father kept a social abode and she was very fair. Her father liked to see her dressed just like some city belle, she was the only child he had. He loved his daughter well. Her hair was black as raven's wings. Her skin was lily fair. And her teeth were like the pearls of white. None with her could compare. At a village just sixteen miles off, there's a merry ball tonight. Although the air is freezing cold, her heart is warm and light. And there she watched with an anxious look till a well-known voice she heard, and driving up to the cottage door, young Charles in his sleigh appeared. The mother to her daughter said, These blankets round you fold, for it is a dreadful night, you know, you'll catch your death of cold. Oh no, oh no, the darling cried, she laughed like a gypsy queen, for to ride in blankets muffled up, I never could be seen. My silken cloak is quite enough. You know it's lined throughout. Besides, I have a silk mantle to tie my face about. The gloves and bonnet being on, they jumped into the sleigh, and away they did ride o'er the mountainside and the hills so far away. There is music in the sounds of bells as over the hills they go. What a creaking wake the runners make as they bite the frozen snow. And away they go silently till five cold miles were passed. And Charles, with these few frozen words, the silence broke at last. Such a night as this I never knew, my lines I scarce can hold. With a trembling voice young Charlotte cried, I am exceeding cold. He cracked the whip, he urged his steed much faster than before, until at last five other cold miles in silence they rode o'er. How very fast the freezing air is gathering on my brow! With trembling voice young Charlotte cried, I'm growing warmer now! And away they did ride o'er the mountainside, and through the pale starlight, until the village inn they reached, and the ballroom hove in sight. And when they reached the inn, young Charles jumped out and gave his hand to her. Why sit you there like a monument, and have no power to stir? He called her once, he called her twice, she answered not a word. He called and for her hand again, but still she never stirred. 
He stripped the mantle off her brow, and the pale stars on her shone. And quickly into the lighted hall her helpless form was borne. They tried all within their power her life for to restore, but Charlotte was a frozen corpse, and is never to speak more. He threw himself down by her side, and bitter tears did flow. He said, My dear and intended bride, you never more shall know. He threw his arms around her neck, he kissed her marble brow, and his thoughts went back to the place where she said, I'm growing warmer now. They bore her out into the sleigh, and Charles with her rode home. And when they reached the cottage door, oh, how her parents mourned. They mourned the loss of their daughter dear, and Charles mourned o'er her doom, until at last his heart did break, and now they both slumber in one tomb. So. Damn, I wasn't picturing him going down, too. Right. So that wow. is the story of Frozen Charlotte. Um, there are also recordings of it being sung as a folk ballad. Oh. And I've got a link to that as well. That's going to um, be pretty That will fun. be in the show notes. Yay. Um, but it was long, but I, I feel like it sets the scene. It does. It does. Wow. Um, oh, I should also mention that in somewhat creepy and delightful fashion even though this is somewhat more modern there is actually a dessert named frozen charlotte which <laughs> is, <laughs> right which is a frozen variation of the ladyfinger and bavarian cream charlotte russe dessert that sounds um, delightful yes and said corpse of uh, this young woman also inspired a couple other extremely Victorian things that I think you know a little more about. Uh, she did. Um, so it seems to me that she inspired very definitely um, a, a nickname, but not necessarily the origin of the doll. But yes. there are... Lovely frozen Charlotte dolls that were <laughs> huge. So they started in Germany um, and they began as, which is s still incredibly odd, um, bath toys for children, which, okay, kids have bath toys, but these were dolls made of porcelain. They weren't jointed, so they're like a single form. And the original ones were not glazed on the back, so the bisque portion, they would float in the bathtub. Um, and they ranged, oh, yeah. yeah, so they ranged from like an inch in size to like 18 inches. Um, but 18 it, inches is a big frozen Charlotte. Right? Um, and it's like, in, of course, back then, I'm guessing, obviously their tubs were metal or not porcelain themselves because i'm like that that's just porcelain bathing doll just bath toy in a child's hand that's a weapon or it's gonna get broken like i it just seems like an odd choice for a bath toy but well you know. what were the other options at the time though true 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 so they spread far and wide um everyone adored them because they were new and 
um, more importantly, they were cheap. They began yes. at a penny a piece. So every kid could pretty much have one. So um, they were huge in France. In England, they would use them not just as the bath toy or as just a general child's play toy, but they actually set them into cakes and puddings as favors. So if you received um, a slice of cake or pudding with frozen Charlotte inside, you received good luck or a special favor. Yeah, that, like a king cake in New Orleans. Right, and that's where that tradition was born. The cake tradition oh. still continues, but now we use plastic. They also Which use, seems like a worse idea to me. Right? Um, <laughs> so, but, you know, chipped teeth, I guess? I don't know. So, but they used them in dollhouses, too, and they also placed them in teacups to cool tea for the wee ones. And it was... That's our, interesting. Right? Our Americans, uh, we we love ourselves a good story, but we also love a story with a lesson. And we loved the fact that the lesson of Frozen Charlotte was don't be vain and listen to your mom. So Because we're that, Puritan, uh, a Puritan people at that time right. founded. So, <laughs> so that is how it became really super popular here. They um, Oh, so the dolls existed before for right the the legend did that's right. interesting so they or at the very least the same time and then by the time they made it to america because being porcelain they weren't painted in very great detail they would have maybe some right. hair color eyes nose some of them had little shoes painted on them but because they were just pretty much stark right and essentially frozen in place because they lacked joints they were like frozen charlotte i mean it makes sense and that folk story does seem to have originated in north america right so we latched onto that and apparently it was a hell of a marketing tool because they (laughs) (laughs) they were huge um and right they even you could even get them in doll size metal and wooden caskets um, yes, in the, um, I have seen these. In the 19th century, and they're amazing. But there's no, like, I couldn't find anything that specifically stated where the coffin thing started, why it started. One of, and we'll put the picture in the in show notes, one of my favorites that I found, which we talked about earlier, was it was like <laughs> this tiny, it was a one-inch doll in this little metal coffin, and the coffin on the outside says in giant letters, like as big as you can fit on this coffin, don't talk so much. Yep. <laughs> I like, um, well, wow. I expect that it was very much related to the morality tale. Right. And Victorian times, you know, pairing a small frozen doll based on a dead girl with an antique coffin kind of seems to make some sense. Yep. Um, And also, shh, children should be seen, not heard. Exactly. Seen, not heard. And see what happens if you don't (laughs) listen to your mom? You end up in a casket. (laughs) Frozen. (laughs) Frozen. No, that, Uh. yeah, that's so... That's the lovely story of our frozen Charlottes. Or you may can, uh, they would continue on to be known as penny dolls. Um, yeah. When they had more color added to them and clothing and started to evolve from, you know, the crazy, just bisked and lightly glazed white dead looking doll. And um, not to leave uh, her bow un- <laughs> unloved. There were male dolls, and those were called Frozen Charlies. Yep. So, 
Well, because little boys also need bathtub toys. Uh, appar- yeah, apparently. And, you know, they need their tea cool, too. They're not, you know, tougher mm-hmm. than, you know. I mean, heaven forbid we, uh, <laughs> we, we give little girl corpses <laughs> to little boys. And shut um, up or you'll end up in a coffin. You boys yeah. are fine, though. It's okay. <laughs> so, yeah. And they are everywhere. You can find a ton of them because they were so prevalent you can still you can find some fairly reasonably priced if you wanted to start a collection. Oh yeah. What's what's interesting is because they are porcelain uh, and highly breakable. You you can find them in various you know missing limbs, <laughs> <laughs> which just adds to the creep factor. Um, oh yeah, I have my very own story about encountering frozen Charlotte dolls. Oh, I that if you to... are a patron, you get to hear. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. So, yeah, Frozen Charlotte. Listen to your damn mom. Wear a muff. You're not invincible. I mean, she was wearing a mantle. Well, she just wasn't wearing a blanket. Sure. Also, open slant at that time just seems really unwise. Uh, I mean, now I have jingle bells stuck in my head. So, um, that is, I don't know, we could really go down a deep rabbit hole of creepy old Christmas songs. So I'm guessing Um, Jingle Bells was after this. I don't know. I'm sensing that. Now the ground is white, so go with well you're young and take the girls tonight. Sing the slang song. I am, I am foreseeing our, uh, our Christmas holiday episode forming. Oh, wow. I, I have a, a favorite Christmas album called, um, uh, I think it's called Excelsius, A Dark Noel, which is basically Christmas carols in minor chords, and it that is amazing. That sounds amazing. Pair yeah, that with a little Krampus and we're set. <laughs> well, I uh, am of German origins. Same here. Mm-hmm. So... Clearly, we've got a, a, a Christmas thing that's going on that we Indeed. need to pursue further. But now is not that time. Nope. No, it's not. No. So, while we're on the subject of dolls, do you want me to tell you about more creepiest shit dolls that the Victorians made? Oh, please do, please do. All right. So, these dolls were called many things. Victorian death dolls, Victorian mourning dolls. Um, trying to remember. I know that there is a probably another name for them as well. Um, but they are basically exactly what you think they are. But their origin was kind of surprising to me. Ooh. Um, So, one of my very favorite resources for things that are related to death and death culture is the Order of the Good Death, and um, my very favorite mortician, um, which is a a real thing, yes, um, uh, Caitlin Dowdy, is, I believe, the founder of the Order of the Good Death. I think you are correct. Yes. And so, um, she's a very trusted name. The person who wrote this 
article was not her. It's um, it was Louise Hung, who is another of my favorite writers on death and is also part of the Order of the Good Death. Um, but she, in an article, took a deep dive into Victorian death dolls, which it would seem... And it's really hard for me to tell which one of these things came first that may have happened at the same time um, just because it made sense. But basically, during the Victorian era and, you know, many eras after that, arguably even until today, although I um, stick my finger up my nose and blow raspberries at that, <laughs> uh, Victorian dolls help prepare young girls for the thing that was expected of them, which was to become wives and mothers. It wasn't really anything else. I mean, if, unless you were poorer, and then your life was going to be terror, terribly different. Um, but if you were growing up in a family of means, um, you might have dolls that would help you practice many of the skills that you would be expected to have. So first, obviously, just taking care of the doll, like you were, it was normal to treat them as though they were real babies. And you would also then make clothing for them. So you would practice your knitting and your sewing. And I actually have a late Victorian toy sewing machine in my collection um, mm -hmm. that is a children's toy that does in fact work because that was rather what they were for. It didn't make any sense it often didn't make sense to have something that wasn't useful. And so even toys tended to be preparing you for your future obligations. Which makes sense and in a yeah. creepy patriarchal way, but it still makes sense. Yes. And I don't think there was much escaping the patriarchy at that point. No. So, Poor things. Um, so with these dolls, little girls would practice things like how to give tea parties and how to dress and how to responsibly care for something and not ruin it. Um, they would also practice how to throw a funeral. What? Yeah. There was very little sugarcoating with regards to the harsh facts of life during Victorian times, especially because child mortality rates were so high. But mm. mortality rates in general were pretty high because there weren't modern treatments and antibiotics. And so people died from things that today we would tell people to stop complaining about and suck <laughs> it up and go to the doctor. Liquid cocaine um, can't fix everything. Uh, I mean, ghosts in your blood, ghosts in your blood. I think you'd probably give cocaine to children. Probably morphine. 
Oh, makes sense. I mean, I'm guessing you would want to hype up your kid more. Right, right, right. <laughs> You'd want it to yeah, go to sleep. No. You're a little laudanum. <laughs> um, so anyway, because death was just sort of a part of daily life in Victorian times, unlike today when some people might question whether or not to bring their young children to a funeral, especially of, like, a loved one. Um, it was just normal, especially because bodies were laid out in homes. Right, the parlor, right? Isn't that what yeah, originally yeah. the parlor was for? Yeah, yes. Um, and so kids would receive um, little kits called funeral kits that would prepare girls for presiding over a wake and a funeral because that would eventually be their responsibility. And so these kits would include a small coffin the size for a doll to fit in, um, black mourning clothes, and all of the tools necessary to practice laying out a body and also dealing with the grief of others. I am equal parts mortified and jealous. Yeah, there's a photo of of this particular thing um, in, in this article, which I will link in the show notes. And oh boy, it's exactly what you think it is. Um, and so, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. I don't find lovingly preparing like I don't find a family lovingly preparing a body to be creepy I I find it to be an act of great love and I like that idea absolutely um but a six-year-old learning how to do it is is where the mortification I think they were probably younger than that I mean yeah we're talking kids who would probably have lost multiple siblings. Right. Oof. By the time, like, they were 10. I, I mean, just, that's just how it was. And so, so this was happening, like, with actual toy dolls. And then, also happening at the time, were mourning dolls, which were basically realistic wax dolls that were carved to be to look like a lost infant or child and they would be dressed in the child's clothing Hmm. and often would have the child's actual hair on on their heads and sometimes they would even be weighted to feel more realistic And these dolls were often on display at funerals um, of of the child in their own little coffin. And I am unsure exactly why that is, but my guess is because after the wake period, you might not want to see the body. Anymore. Right. You like decay would have De- yeah decomposition. Um, Why wax? And I mean, though? like yeah. wax is the confusing part to me. 
oddly enough. Well, because you could carve it to look just like true. The uh, the lost child, and you could make it flat so it would lie nicely. Okay. In the coffin, so the back could be flat. So it's not for cuddling, just uh, mm, like a no. shrine ish. It well, piece. it it it. it crosses some lines sometimes <laughs> so um if it were an infant it would often be the full body and in clothes and such but if it were an older child it might just be the bust so like the head and shoulders sure and yeah and they were they would have been referred to as effigies okay and the bust of an older child might be framed. Oh, and okay. like a shadow box. Yeah. Okay. And so, the these dolls would either be left at the child's grave, which is ah. mentioned. Um, maybe ah. there might already be some. Um, they would either be left at the child's grave, um, or displayed often in a glass coffin or a frame in the home. And sometimes the, they would be treated like a living child and the clothes would be regularly changed and it would be placed in a bed to sleep. And like, I'm unclear if this was just part of a ritual of mourning, like a thing that one did or if this was crossing a line into um the possible mental illness i'm not sure right because there seems um, but i yeah i could see it being a coping mechanism to a certain extent yeah but and, then it gets and, creepy quick yeah the context is really hard to know right um but i i'm I also really want to know, with regards to the funeral kits that kids were given, uh, if they came with, like, if they gathered super fragrant flowers, because that right flowers exist at funerals because bodies that smell. are decaying smell. Like, that is the reason that, especially lilies, because they are so strongly scented. So maybe it came with like a little, you know, how to grow in your own funeral flowers kit. Well, in the one I'm looking at, it seems to have fake flowers. (laughs) But my favorite part of this is they seem to have green on those fake flowers. That I'm going to go ahead and guess is (laughs) arsenic arsenic green. Mm, Yes. Yes, well, and if you have not heard that episode, you should go back and listen to it, because, oh boy. Yes. Yes. Um, Morning dolls are still being made today, among many of the other morning traditions that have Victorian roots, so like jewelry and hair-related things. There, There are lots of current practices that are related to that. And so one of the modern makers is artist Flo Kane. And yes, and you actually sent me this article and it is on the website of a funeral home um, called the, I am unclear if we're using the German pronunciation, um, 
but Fenoif, perhaps, uh, funeral homes, and crematorium. And this artist is making current mourning dolls. And so the artist herself, uh, with regards to the mourning dolls, um, says, quote, I wanted to create something representational and beautiful, she said. I like the idea of creating dolls dressed in deep mourning and keeping their faces blank because our grief is often held and unexpressed publicly. Flo, the person who's making the dolls, purchased a doll making pattern um, and made all of the clothing and hair and jewelry for these dolls from scratch. Another quote from her is, they all have messages written in their bodies that may or may not be seen, depicting or depending on how their clothes were made. They say things like, I carry you. Um, and they are really lovely. And so Flo picks names that were common during the Victorian era and gives each doll a story. Oh. And, yeah. Um, and so they're just... They're really interesting and a very interesting way to engage with death in a way that gives you time to explore it in depth. Yes. I think and we need to do that so much more. Our culture is such crap at it right now. Oh, so bad at it. And that um, would be a really good tool to use with children now. Oh, absolutely. And... From the photos, and I will link to her Instagram as well, there seem to be quite a few different death-specific or death-inspired projects, but the hair on these morning dolls is, if it's not real hair, it must be a darn good wig. Um, because <laughs> it's, I mean, I'm quite sure. Because you can purchase human hair for weaves or extensions like it's very easy to purchase human hair i i am i am done with victorian morning <laughs> <laughs> that's that's it i think we should bring them back oh i think so too like i i really like the idea of the funeral kit and again it's initially jarring based on our current culture but we do so little to prepare oh i think it's so healthy Right. To just be, to be honest instead of afraid. Right. Because since death is such a hush-hush thing when you're talking to kids, right. like, it becomes scarier. It does. But back in that time, though. Oh, yeah. They weren't scared. I remember. No. Well, I mean, they might have been scared, but it was not scared of the unknown. Right. They certainly weren't scared mm. of coffins. And I have a little story no. about that. No, um, like I remember the first funeral that I ever went to, um, it was my great grandmother's and I, um, I already knew she was dead when the call came in, but that's an entirely different <laughs> story. Yeah. Um, so my mom came in and I informed her while she was coming in to inform me and I was I know, probably eight, I don't remember, um. And so, very shortly after, we went to the funeral, and my mom was, uh, my mom is very open about talking about 
everything. And, like, from sex to dead people. Very open. Which I guess, you know, one leads to the other at some point. Eventually. (laughs) Um, So when we went to the, like, the family-only visitation, my mom brought me up. And I was looking, and I'm very short, so, like, a chair was dragged over so I could look. And... I did for a very long time, and they had done a very beautiful job. She just looked like she was sleeping. Like, Mm. I remember vividly what she looked like. And at some point, I was standing there with my grandma, who was her daughter, um, and my mom. And my mom just said, you can touch her if you want to. And so I did. I held her hand and felt her skin because I knew what it felt like before and I touched her rings and like I touched her face and it was it was weird (laughs) I mean (laughs) she was a stiff embalmed body but it was all so fascinating and Every funeral that I've been to since that was someone that I was close to, I have touched them. Yeah. And because it feels like a respectful way to connect with the body to me. Yeah. And I know that it would feel differently to some. And I generally do make sure that I'm alone so I don't freak anyone out. (laughs) But... I just think it's so much more healthy to interact with death than it is to be horrified by it. Right, because it's inevitable. It's like the one thing you can count on. Yep. So. You're for sure going to die. Yes. All right. So that is is Morning Dolls. So um, I have a story. I have a story about kids and coffins. Oh, do you now? Yep. You can take us to uh, the 1830s. Okay. Uh, well, ver- then we're happening at the same time. Right? I'm going to kick it mm-hmm. off with uh, an article in the London Times dated July 20th, 1836. Okay. That early in July 1836, some boys were searching for rabbits burrows in the rocky formation near Edinburgh, known what as Arthur's Seat. Yep. In the side it's of the Edinburgh. The side of the cliff, they came upon thin sheets of slate, which they pulled out. Little cave, 17 tiny coffins. What? Three or four inches long. In the coffins were miniature wooden figures. They were dressed differently in both style and material. There were two tiers of eight coffins each, and a third one begun with one coffin. The extraordinary denim, which is, is especially made mystery here that the coffins had been deposited singly in the little cave and at intervals over many years. In the first tier, the coffins were quite decayed and the wrappings had moldered away. In the second tier, the effects of age had not advanced so far and the top coffin was quite recent looking. So that's... Well, <laughs> right? Do that's, we have poppets? We have, we have a mystery is what we have. So according to the article in The Scotsman, and The Scotsman's been around since like 1817 and is still going strong. Um, 
so they added that each coffin contained a miniature figure of a human form cut out of wood. The faces in particular being pretty well executed. They were dressed from head to foot in cotton clothes and decently laid out with a mimic representation of all like the funeral things that you'd see. Um, The coffins were, again, three to four inches in length, regularly shaped. They were cut out from a single piece of wood with the exception of the lids, which were nailed down with wire springs or common brass pins. The lid and sides of each were like studded with ornaments formed with small pieces of tin and inserted in the wood with great care and regularity. They are, and we will include photos, they are all different. Um, huh. The people are different. The coffins are different. The size is the, the commonality amongst them. Um, but thus pretty much began the mystery of the 17 miniature dolls with coffins. And this mystery still remains today. The exact Yeah. The exact details of the coffins and their contents and even the actual location where they were found is up for a bit of debate. The biggest mystery of them all is, well, what the fuck? I mean, who made them? (laughs) How did they get there? Like, seriously. There's a whole lot of why, and like that's the biggest I think it was witches. That we shall get there. So Tail tells that uh, only half of the actual coffins ever even made it completely intact. Um, as again, the Scotsman explained that a number were destroyed by the boys pelting them at each other as unmeaning and contemptible trifles. So in modern well. terms, the little bastards were chucking them at each other. Um, so an, un- <laughs> an unreferenced account in 1956 states that the boys didn't even bring them all down that their schoolmaster did the next day and then took it to his archaeological society group after prying them open at his kitchen table and don't do that take them to the archaeological group first schoolmaster right right? but there's not i mean there's some documentation that kind of backs that up but not you know again 100 percent Sure. So, in 1901, a set of eight, together with their contents, were donated to the National Museum of Scotland by their then-owner, Christina Copair of Dumfrieshire. But I'm saying that right. Uh, and that's I'm where they guessing, remain today. Wait, so, Dumfrieshire? Dumfrieshire? Sheer? Sheer? I'm guessing Sheer. She's long gone. Because and they I, are all shears. Shears. There we go. So. Anyway. Doesn't matter. I'm sure it's Carry a lovely on. town. And I shall visit it someday and learn how to pronounce it properly. Uh, uh, that's but, what I think we should do. We should right? make a list of all the words that we have failed to pronounce. Yes. And then go to there. Uh, I really want to go to this National, National Museum of Scotland. Uh, me you too. you want to with me. Um, as, I already do. So there we go. So yeah. um, there are some incredibly deep dives you can do, like if you're down for some archaeological dig- like geekery, um, and I wholeheartedly encourage it. But once I started going down that hole, I was like, I don't even know how much of this to add, and, and there's so much of it. Um, so I'm just going to jump to the three main theories of thought on these. So the first, and they're, I, I'm not going to lie, they're in my order of favorites. Um, kind of favorites, maybe not. But the first most popular at the time was that the burials were part of some spell work 
or that they represented mimic burials, perhaps for sailors that were lost at sea. So oh, most of I these see that right. So most of these solutions, however, assume that the newspapers of the day were correct to state that the burials have been made over a considerable period of time. Um, my, <laughs> I love this quote. So Scotsman again on the sixteenth of July in eighteen thirty-six read, "Yeah, our own opinion would be, had we not some years ago abjured witchcraft and demonology, that there are still some of the weird sisters hovering." about Moshat's Cairn or the Windy Gull, who retain their ancient power to work spells of death by entombing the likeness of those they wish to destroy. So, um, I mean, yeah, obviously. Yeah, obviously. But here's my thing on that one. Uh, if you now... Weird sisters. I know, right? I love that. Mm. So here's the thing. So it is entirely plausible that witches would want to um, entomb the likeness of 17 men because they look like men. Um, yeah, I'm looking at them and they they, do they look masculine look in like nature. Men. Um, so that's not, I mean, given... Wait, are those runes stamped on the I, That's outside? the thing. Like, there's so... It's... There's so much. Like, each one is so very different. Um, so, but the... I think the lack of variety of size and stature and i would think they would be a little more differential if they were going for like a spell yeah but puppets are generally about the same true true, true. i mean well they can be and sometimes they are sometimes they aren't right hmm. although i don't so, know if that tradition was happening i know it was happening in um like the hoodoo and voodoo traditions i don't know right. how much it was happening in the more germanic traditions right i would think they were they wrapped in cloth versus like a put in an actual coffin it depends um I, there i mean i know a bunch of answers to that and i think <laughs> that we shouldn't get into it um because it is it is a religious study that i am not a practitioner of uh, and i haven't right. done enough research understandable yeah. so the second theory and this one comes recent and i'm kind of calling bullshit on it but at the mm -hmm. same time it's also seems like it could be fun but, uh, so again, our dear Scotsman uh, paper on Wednesday, the 18th of April, 2018, article stated, author and amateur historian Jeff Nisbet. A amateur U historian, that yeah. is never a good sign. Right. Uh, a U.S.-based Scottish author has claimed that he has solved the mystery behind the famous coffins, citing mm -hmm. a little-known event dubbed the Radical War of 1820. Nisbet believes the coffins were created as a memorial to a political movement related to the war and those killed supporting it so according to this guy uh many poorly paid workers and weavers from the area were arrested following a series of protests and strikes aimed at improving the work conditions and securing better pay many of those that were arrested were exiled to australia but several of the ringleaders were executed hmm. following the event those who agreed with the movement were put to work building a path that would later become known as the Radical Road around Arthur's, Arthur's seat where they were found. So his theory is that um, the reason for the existence of the artifacts was to keep the flames of rebellion lit 
and to honor those radicals who had lost their lives and deserved to see their cause revived by later generations. Which... That would be like, great I and want... all if anybody knew that they were there. Right, exactly. Like, the fact that they were... I mean, I mean, I guess... I don't know. It just... It seems a really far-fetched. And there's nothing... There's, like, two articles that state, you know, pretty much this... They, they reiterate what this guy says. Well, I... There's not a lot to... I was wondering, looking at them, if they were the bodies of soldiers who didn't come home from something. Um, Like, that was one of the first things that I thought that they were the grieving families from some village that was quite devastated by, like, well, not World War One, but... Definitely, a, definitely makes a war sense. Before that, um, and wanted but why to have hide a them service. Then? Well, because they were putting them to rest. Oh, that's true. Um, but in a mask, I guess. Well, if they so, all were like a company who passed together, oh, all of these families could have come together. And like, as you were talking about that, that popped into my head very strongly. That maybe that. Because they, they aren't sinister. They're not. They're not. They're, I mean, it's, it is clear that, that love and care was taken in creating them. Yeah, like the one in plaid that seems to also have a waistcoat. Like, yeah. I mean, there's... The other ones seem to be largely plain muslin. And then there's one that is, like... A dramatic check pattern. <laughs> right? Right. And and then I, I also wonder if part of that is because parts of the other clothing were lost. Like, I wonder if that was the more recent one that was placed at the top. Um, I don't know. Because they, it, it isn't so, the wood with the least amount of decay, though. Hmm. Well, and that's the thing, too, is that they're not even certain uh, that everybody got realigned correctly based on these kids pelting each other. Oh, so, sure. I mean, I'm just looking at the uh, weather wear, but that could have everything right. to do with, like, a crack in a stone facade or moisture seeping in someplace like it. It right. doesn't say anything. Probably the dating so, of the, the tax would right. say more. So, and there, uh, there is some, there was a bit on the metal used, um, and the tool they believe used to carve, um, somehow leading to a shoemaker, but again, it's all really, I mean, so my favorite theory, because Mm -hmm. it's, well, you'll hear, Mm -hmm. but so theory number three. Uh, it wasn't until the 1990s, so that's decades after the dolls were brought and displayed at the Royal Museum of Scotland, that experts suggested, uh, what is mine, that the 17 dolls are in fact represented the 17 victims of the infamous Burke and Hare, murders for which Burke was hanged after Hare turned Queen's evidence to save his own life. Like Burke as in Burking? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah so tv producers working for the national geographic channel in 2005 even posited that 
the idea that the man behind the dolls was in fact Burke himself in a bid to kind of calm his own guilt. Um, and they approach Mr. Barber, who is the head of the specialist DNA unit at the Forensic Science Service in Weatherby, Yorkshire, uh-huh. and to use his skills, which are normally put to, you know, helping police solve murder crime, like modern crime, right. to try and prove one way or the other whether Burke made the dolls. So the idea was that he should try and obtain a DNA profile from Burke's skeleton, which is also kept under lock and key at the university. Well, and see if it matches there. samples. Right. So see if it matches samples taken from the doll. Yeah, because there could be so, touch DNA on those. Right. Unfortunately, the tests in the dolls found absolutely nothing, as Mr. Barber had predicted, based on just zero chain of, you know, Custody. proper care. And, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he says that they also didn't disprove the theory either. And after speaking to historians involved in the program, Mr. Barber, for one, believes that, um, and, you know, he's, I, I kind of trust him, but he he believes that Burke probably did make the murder dolls because Hare was actually the huh. more sinister of the two, allegedly. Um, so because the discovery was not made by some trained archaeologist who made a painstaking examination before moving even the single piece of wood, but by a group of boys who, uh, you know, decided to just friggin' hurl them at each other uh, and who never gave any, they actually never gave any first-person account to their find. It all kind of seems like remains a mystery, which I love. Um, but I'm also 100% going with Burke. Like, I think the number 17 is, uh, it would be... Hmm. Incredibly coincidental, yeah. I would think. Well, and the bodies the are also not displayed with injury. Um, and working, right. like, the whole point <laughs> of it was that right. you couldn't tell that anyone had killed you. Um, or that, right. or whatever. Um, if you don't know what burking is, which I assume probably many people listening to us do, but um, it's, uh, as far as I can remember, a method of suffocation by weight. Is that true? Like smothering? I believe so. Because somebody will send us an email. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, so I think the the first... And the third are most plausible. I think that the second one's kind of a stretch. Although I really do want to look into that war more. The rebellion more. But I would also think that... So wait, Burke was hanged in 1829 in Edinburgh. So that would line up with the time period that they think they're Mm -hmm. from. But the fact that they don't even agree on it exactly where they were specifically found is another issue, too. You know? Hmm. That seems like it should be something that, uh... Oh, yes. Here we go. Uh, burking means, um, asphyxial deaths that result from someone sitting on another person in a fashion that restricts breathing. So wouldn't leave any obvious signs of death or struggle. Right. So I was right. Yay. You were. 
Um, Yay! Hmm. It, but it seems like if if they've got the boys and the schoolmaster, that they would at least be able to figure out where the school was, because presumably the schoolmaster wasn't walking miles and miles, right? So they did. Well, I mean, it's it's, and I, I will pull a picture. It's a it's a giant area. Oh. So. I want ground penetrating would... radar right now. <laughs> so they did. They did when they're looking into the theory that the boys didn't actually even bring them down, but that their schoolmaster did. They found two schoolmasters in the area that would have that had the same last name. Uh-oh. One was like an English major and the other one was probably the one more archaeologically inclined. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not But the English major would have pried them open at his uh at his true. kitchen he table. Would, he would have popped <laughs> open at the kitchen table. Just saying. That is true. Um but I would think that he would have written more about it then, if that makes any sense. I don't know. Yeah, I'm Maybe really not. hung but, up on so on the check pattern. They didn't actually Right? On that one. And they didn't actually like there's no interview of the, the boys aren't even named. Hmm. So it it's yeah, it's a huge there's a lot of a lot of holes. But yeah, definitely highly encourage that the deep dive into all of this because there's so much more than just you know at surface. So it is. And I really the plaid one sticks out to me a lot as well. Well, it's also wearing a cravat. And has something. And a cod piece. <laughs> <laughs> I um. Was he a fencer? Like, I don't. <laughs> like, a waistcoat, a cravat. Like, that one's got a lot going on. It's rocking a wardrobe. But then it's like, how authentic was it that somebody that owned it prior to turning it over? At one point, they sold, the collection sold for all of four pounds at auction. Oh, well. Um, which, I don't even know how much money that is. Uh, but that, that must have seems just like... been mending the uh, cod piece because it's also missing an arm that has been mended in more or less the same way. Which is to say, badly. Yeah. No offense to whomever mended it, but... Clearly not the same person that constructed them to begin with. That is... Oh, but... It also has... It's lace. That cravat. Well, it's got, um... Oh, hell. The loops. Eyelets. Around the top. I want a much, much closer look. (laughs) Right? Like, I, I think we need a field trip. Um, ah, it's interesting. And the, um, the pins are also interesting. <clears throat> if, they're the, if they're brass pins, that was used in lace making, weirdly enough. That is the traditional lace making pin. Look at that. Look at that. That is some 
crossover if ever that that is some completely unhelpful information <laughs> but wow so i'm wondering that's um, interesting so and there's also that one that has i'm not sure which picture you're looking at but there's also that one that has like one eye left do you know what I'm talking about? Hold on. Like, the eye is so much more prominent. Like, and actually, like, the cheeks on one are more rounded and, yeah. like, almost... Oh, do you mean the one that, um, that has like the, the obvious rest- mending stitches um, at the shoulder <laughs> that seems to just be missing a chunk of its head? Yeah. yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Uh. But it's like, look, eyeball. Like, there's... Yeah. It's, uh... I am intrigued. I am completely intrigued by them. I... I'm intrigued, too. I need to know... Hi, Mr. Big Stuff. Um, <laughs> I need to know several additional pieces of information. Right? Also, I would like to know... Like, it's interesting, the different coffin tops. Yeah. Like, there's different patterns. Two are kind of similar... Uh, so it's like, did they start out plain, but then added and then kind of grown from there? Because there's that seal, there's that shape in the center, the bigger shape. Which I assume is Um, just to mimic a coffin plate. Uh, yeah. Because a bunch, a bunch of wooden coffins were found under, um, oh, I can't remember which park, um, in Manhattan recently um in a that's wonderful forgotten tomb and they all of their coffin plates looked a lot like that Uh yeah con edison our electric company was trying to must be washington square park yeah um was trying to do something electrical and accidentally burrowed into a an untouched tomb And was like, oops, and then the city archaeologists had to be called in. Right. That's a job here. That that's a good job. That would be a fun job to have. Well, most of the parks um, have people buried in them. That makes sense. Uh yeah. Hi, Mr. Big Stuff. I I have a cat on my lap in case <laughs> listeners are wondering why I'm saying hi, Mr. Big Stuff. My cat, Mr. Big Stuff. Huh. Well, that is fascinating. Ron Swanson and is fast asleep. I, I yes. was prepared to be completely unconvinced about the the Burke relationship, but now, now I'm feeling it. The fact that the essentially forensic specialist was was super. This is this is a thing. Yeah. Um, I mean that they the forensic specialist to bothered to spend right, time doing right, it. yeah, um, and then said, "Hey, yeah, this you know it was inconclusive. However, that doesn't disprove it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, I may I may end up going and reading up more on on Burke especially. Oh, that is a um, wild ride <laughs> um, involving a boarding I, you know, house. You know, I yes, I do know the story." Wasn't the one of the people, the last people who was burked, the woman who owned the boarding house? Yeah, I believe Maybe so. Maybe she's wearing she a was, lace collar. Ah. Uh, she was thawing under the bed. I know that. Yep. 
Like, seriously, how sloppy do you have to be at that point? Like, that that's just asking to be caught. I mean... There was a lot going on. Wasn't he also doing grave robbing? Yeah, that was what it was for, right? Wasn't he selling yeah, they were the selling to the university? They were selling, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, they were selling the bodies. And at some point, the university had to be like, hey, um, this doesn't seem right that these people have access to all these bodies. Well, I um, mean, at that time, there wasn't a legal way to get them. So they all bought them from people who were robbing graves. And they just didn't ask questions. Like you do. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. I... I want to think witches because that's fun. Yes. But Burke yes, yes. is almost more fun. See? Hmm. Yeah. I'm that's my favorite one. That's the one I'm going with right now. But I may end up changing my mind as I continue to dive down. Yeah, that. I want to know what our listeners think. Absolutely. And how do they think if they are representative of people, how they think those people died? I just I need to know so much more than I currently know. Oh, that's interesting. I'm looking at how they're actually set up in the museum. I wonder if they were all made out of the same type of wood. I want to know that, too. I I believe I read that they were. That they're all from the same piece of wood, actually. They think it's... Oh, right. You said that earlier. So, um... And using a, a tool that, potentially a tool that would be used for shoemaking, to carve. Oh, to carve like heels. But, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we definitely need to take a field trip. We should start keeping a Agreed. list of the field trips we need to take when the world Absolutely. is no longer ending. Yes. And then we can scare the bejesus out of your teens. Yes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. One spooks easier than the other. I accept the challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, man. Huh. I think that brings us to our weekly worst way to die. Oh, yes. I forgot about the weekly worst way to die. I mean, burking would probably suck a lot, but. Right. Yeah. All right. So I, um, for mine sort of stuck a bit with the theme. Um, I think pretty much any Victorian childhood disease would be a bad idea. And I say that as someone who has had multiple Victorian childhood diseases. Um, <laughs> Scarlet like, fever. Yep. <laughs> Scarlet fever many, 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 many times. You too, right? Yes, multiple scarlet yes, fevers. We, we have, because, like you do, and croup, that is another of my, of my favorites. I've had that. But anyway, so I think any way that one might die as a Victorian child I would agree. be the worst. That's pretty bad. All right. So my weekly worst way is, uh, have you seen the movie Cabin in the Woods? No. So it's... Or, Really good movie. Um, it, so it's got a baby Thor in it, but it was actually released after Thor. Okay. Horror movie, campy, totally campy, um, but also it's just really well done. And it's I think it's been out long enough for me to not have to worry about spoiler alerts. But there is a scene wherein these elevators open and release all of the things in your worst nightmares oh. one by one or several at a time. Fun. And they're yeah, and uh, 
I made the joke the other day that uh, 2020 pretty much reminds me of the scene where the elevator's open and the shit just comes flying out and there's no way to fight it. And so people are being killed by various things. And one of the ongoing jokes of the movie is um, this guy is like, just once I wanted to be a merman. And um, he ends up dying by merman. And the merman pounces on him and there's just a fountain of blood that suits that squirts out ah! his blowhole. So I'm going with Merman as my weekly worst way to die. Yeah. I would hope I could outrun a Merman, but I'm thinking that that would really suck. I mean, on land, maybe. Right. But uh, I would say that I am an expert swimmer, and I wouldn't tangle with a Merman. (laughs) Yeah, so Merman. That's my weekly worst day to die. Wow. Yeah, no. So, yeah. All right, now that we've uh, done that, Merman... Now that we've done Merman, <laughs> which also might be fun. Who knows? <laughs> oh, my true. gosh. All right. Do you want to close us off? Sure. Want to be spooky internet Please. friends? You can, f- <laughs> you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Bones and Bobbins. And don't forget to rate and review <laughs> this podcast. This one right here. Um... It pleases the internet gremlins. And that's how we show up in recommendations so that other morbid souls can find us. And on that note, let us leave you with some advice that you should never forget. Mm -hmm. Lock your doors. And don't run with scissors. Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content.